Good morning. My name is Lynette Perrett and uh, I lead the Library Resource Centre Ministry here at the church and I'm going to do the Bible reading this morning. Uh, we have a couple of readings this morning. The first, first one is in Exodus chapter 22, as verses 1 to 15. If you don't have a Bible, there are some up at the back, just there, near the doors where you come into the foyer. You're very welcome to take one. We have those free for people to use. Um, take one and keep it. Yep. So the first reading is Exodus 22, verses 1 to 15. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught breaking in and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, he is guilty of bloodshed. A thief must certainly make restitution, but if he has nothing, he must be sold to pay for his theft. If the stolen animal is found alive in his possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, he must pay back double. If a man grazes his livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in another man's field, he must make restitution from the best of his own field or vineyard. If a fire breaks out and spreads into thorn bushes so that it burns shocks of grain or standing grain or the whole field, the one who started the fire must make restitution. If a man gives his neighbour silver or goods for safekeeping and they are stolen from the neighbour's house, the thief, if he is caught, must pay back double. But if the thief is not found, the owner of the house must appear before the judges to determine whether he has laid his hands on the other man's property. In all cases of illegal possession of an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, or any other lost property about which somebody says, this is mine, both parties are to bring their cases before the judges. The one whom the judges declare guilty must pay back double to his neighbour. If a man gives a donkey, an ox, a sheep or any other animal to his neighbour for safekeeping and it dies or is injured or is taken away while no one is looking, the issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord that the neighbour did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this and no restitution is required. But if the animal was stolen from the neighbour, he must make restitution to the owner. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, he shall bring in the remains as evidence and he will not be required to pay for the torn animal. If a man borrows an animal from his neighbour and it is injured or dies while the owner is not present, he must make restitution. But if the owner is with the animal, the borrower will not have to pay. If the animal was hired, the money paid for the hire covers the cost. Now the second reading is actually in the New Testament. It's over in Ephesians chapter four. I'll just go over there myself. So Ephesians chapter four, and it's just one verse, verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Toon Gabby Baptist. My name's James. I'm one of the pastors here. I've got the joy of bringing God's word to us this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at Do Not Steal. 
Um, but we'll be mainly looking at Exodus 22, so you can go to Exodus 22 now if you want to get ready as we come to God's Word this morning. But also, I just want to recognise this morning, even as Corey has alluded to, there's a sense of, for some of you in this room, your life may not have changed this week. For others of you, there may be a sense of mourning and grief. For others, there could be a sense of, I wonder what's going to happen in the world now. Um, the Queen lived a long life, but at the same time, it's reminded us, it's reminded me that life comes to an end and death is a real reality. And so this morning, some of you may be here, I, I, don't, think it's, you might go, I don't think it's going to affect the world. Others of you may be really worried, concerned, anxious, thinking, what's going to happen in this world now that the Queen is gone? But can I please encourage you to be reminded that in Romans chapter 13, it reminds us that God appoints those who are over us. And so we can find great comfort in that this morning. But also, I found a verse from, well, not a, it's a couple of words from the Queen herself one Christmas who said, Although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but he sent a saviour with the power to forgive. And so I want to point you to a saviour this morning. And in Revelation it says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. What a great reminder to look to King Jesus this morning. So let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into practice through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It's just one thief stealing from another thief. Those words came from an 80-year-old man called Willis Newton, who was famous because him and the Newton gang, or the Newton brothers, were one of the most famous bank robbers in American history. He was a farmer, and, 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 and they were famous because over a period of nearly five years in the early 1920s, they robbed nearly... Or, nearly two or over 70 banks, and during the course of that time, no one had a clue who was doing these robberies. It's just, a th just one thief stealing from another thief. On the 12th of June, 1924, it was their final robbery. They're going to rob this train. It was going to set them up for life so that they would never have to work again. Their family would be rich and all their dreams and satisfaction would come if only they could do this one last robbery. And so what happened? They did it. And they robbed a train of $3 million in 1924, which is equivalent to $45 million today. And at the age of 90, Willis says, I'm one of the most oldest bank robbers still alive. And he said this, he says, I know all them bankers were rich and they didn't care about us hurting farmers. So why should I care about hurting them? Why shouldn't I steal from them? It's just one thief stealing from another thief. See, why was Willis stealing? 
He didn't have what the rich had. He was discontent, dissatisfied. He was sick of working while the rich were oppressing the poor and using their position to gain more wealth from them. And so Willis thought, I'll level the playing field. And at least he was honest. It's just one thief stealing from another thief. Now, you can watch that on the movie called The Newton Boys. Now, I, I'm captured by bank robberies. Are you? They're thrillers inside man. Like, I remember watching on my honeymoon to 1 a.m. in the morning. These men and women who break in and so sneakily walked out with money. It just, it captures my imagination. It captures my heart. And I just think, wow, do you get drawn into them? And I just think, man, imagine what life would be if I all of a sudden found $40 million in my bank account. If I didn't have to work for it at the expense of others. It's sort of like, I get it. Satisfying, fulfilled, and, and I just get drawn into these stories and movies. And, and sometimes I picture, I wonder if I could be so sneaky and get that kind of cash. Now, as intriguing as those movies are, as intriguing as you think about bank robbers and insurance paying that out, <clears throat> that's intriguing, but I wonder when it's personal, though. It's different, isn't it? When you get home, you get your groceries, you've got your laptop bag over your shoulder and you walk through the front door and you realise, hang on, it's a jar. And you walk in your lounge room and it's just a mess. You walk into your personal space, the bedroom, and someone has gone through every single drawer. They've stolen jewellery. They've stolen your mum's engagement ring. And you just feel exposed and hurt, undervalued, and you think, if only you'd known that that was my mum's engagement ring and she passed away 12 months ago and it has such value to me and it's got nothing to you and yet you, you just take that from me. It hurts. It's deeply exposing all that car that gets taken from your front yard. And you just think, if only you'd known that I've worked for the last five years doing overtime at Woolies, packing the shelves after hours just so I could buy a decent car that wouldn't break down for my family and you've stolen that and you've seen no value in that and it just rips you raw. Or your, your son or your daughter comes home and says, my shoes have been stolen and you're heartbroken because... You put off buying your own shoes. You put buying off your own shirts and your own clothes just so that your son or your daughter could just have a pair of shoes for school that week and someone comes along and doesn't even consider it and just steals them from his locker at the footy. See, stealing is painful. Actually, stealing is deeply relational. It's to do with relationships because what it says is I don't value you or your things or your property it's actually a very deep relational thing to steal it's saying I don't value you in any form or what you have so it's actually it's a relationship problem 
And so today, what are we looking at? You already know it. We're looking at you shall not steal. It's the eighth commandment. We're doing a series in the Ten Commandments where we've seen that we've been set free to live free for Jesus. Now, these ten words, these ten commandments, if you're here today for the first time and you think Christianity is about doing all these rules so that God might be happy with you and rescue you and forgive you, no, no, that's not what the Ten Commandments are about. These were actually ten words to people who have been rescued, redeemed, and they already had a relationship with God. And he says, now that I've rescued you, now that I've saved you, here's how you are to live. They're good boundaries like a tennis court. You have nets around a tennis court. They're there for good. The lines on a tennis court are there. They bring fun to life. And so the Ten Commandments are in a way, here's what it is to live the full life. And so today we are here to, and it says, do not steal. We're going to see that it reflects God's character and who he is and what he has in store. And so we're going to see that today through this do not steal. You shall not steal. Now, obviously, we probably have a fair idea of what it's all about. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to do four things. We're going to ask the question, what is stealing? We're going to see what does it tell us about us? What does it show us about God? And then where does it point us to? So we're going to see what is stealing. Now, we've probably got a fair idea of what stealing is. Well, firstly, it is the unjust gain at the expense of another. It's the unjust gain at the expense of someone else. When you steal, you're saying about that person's property, you've worked for it, you've paid for it, but I'm going to have it at your expense. You go and take it. So take something that's not yours. It's to show disrespect. See, to cheat on your tax return says, I want good roads, I want good health cover at someone else's expense. See, stealing is taking something that does not belong to you. Now, we, we know that, don't we? Stealing is personal property. It's, you, you, did you see that it includes kidnapping? And I think there's even a broader sense we can steal people's dignity and self-worth and freedom, emotional energy. There's, there's a whole lots of ways that we can steal because stealing is the unjust gain at the expense of another. Now, if, you go, if you're there in Exodus chapter 22, I'm going to just flick through a few of those examples there that Lynette read for us so wonderfully. But in, in Exodus chapter 21, before we get to 22, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, it, it says, anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death. That's stealing. But in, in, in chapter 22, well, I'll just flip right away, but in Exodus chapter 22, we're in, we're in the context of stealing. Whoever steals an ox in verse 1 or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it must pay back five head of cattle. It's, we're in the context of stealing, and we can see that you can steal the possessions of another. Have a look at verse 3 and 4. Anyone who steals must certainly make restitution, but if they have nothing, they must be sold to pay for their theft. If the stolen animal is found alive in their possession, whether ox or donkey, see, an ox or a donkey is a possession of someone else. So it's personal property. You can also steal grass. Now, I'm not talking about the stuff you smoke, but I'm talking about the stuff that grows in your paddock. Now, most of you don't have a paddock, but have a, did you notice that? Have a look at verse 5. If anyone grazes their livestock in a field or a vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in someone else's field, the offender must make restitution. Now, most of you, I don't see any farmers really in this room today unless you're visiting. But what you can do is you go, oh, my fence is a bit worn out. 
And so you let your 20 head of cattle wander to your next door neighbours and it eats, they eat their grass. And you go, I'll be back in 10 days to pick up those cows. Right? That's stealing. It's eating someone else's grass. But it's also damaging others' property. Look at verse 6. If a fire breaks out and spreads into thorn bushes so that it burns shocks of grain or standing grain or the whole field, the one who started the fire must make a restitution. Like, if you have a fire in your place and it spreads, you make restitution for it. Now, who's ever kicked a footy through their neighbor's window or hit a cricket ball and broken it? See, if we don't pay for that, it's you've gained an unjust expense of another. You can steal by not paying what we owe. That's in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 35. It says, do not hold back the wages of a hired man overnight. Right? You can steal by not paying what we owe to pay. You can steal by dishonesty in our businesses or in every day-to-day life. Look at verse, oh sorry, in Leviticus 19, verse 35, it says, do not use dishonest standards when measuring length, weight, or quality, quantity. Use honest scales and honest weights and honest ephah and honest hin. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Because of my character, don't be dishonest. So here's what you can do. In the ancient world, you might, you, you might go and buy some grain off someone. And so you use three stones to weigh that out. And so what you do is you make them give a false reading. So they think they're buying three stones worth of wheat when actually they're only buying two. And so you make a profit. So that's stealing someone else's property. It's, it's being dishonest. Now, Today, you go to Woolies and you go through the self-checkout, which takes forever, but you're doing it. And it comes to the time to scan the cavity of bananas. So you grab them, you've got five and you sit them on the weights. You find the banana and you just hold two bananas just slightly and you press dunk. So you, rather than paying for five bananas at weigh a kilo, you've just paid for three. See, you can steal through dishonesty in business. So see, the book of James in chapter five, it talks about the rich withholding from others. Now, I, I just, this one just hit me as Lynette was reading, actually, so we're gonna, it's not here, but we're going to go for it. Um, it's the other one, is, it's when you hire things. Now, imagine a tradie, you're a tradie here today, and I borrow your 18-volt Makita cordless drill. So I just borrow it, I take it home, and I break it, and I don't fix the tradie up. That's stealing. However, like, how cool is the Bible? It actually tells you, but if the tradie hires it out to you at $100 for the day and you break it, well, then it's not stealing, Right, And if the trade is there with you whilst you're using their tools, you're not liable for it. Now, the Bible makes common sense, doesn't it? But there's so many ways that we can steal. Stealing is the unjust gain at the expense of another. See, most of you don't have oxen. We don't have sheep eating our neighbor's grass. We, we haven't kidnapped people. We probably haven't done that. And, and as we think about Willis Newton, we haven't robbed a bank. But I wonder if there are things today that we gain at the expense of someone else. Like streaming illegally. Or pulling a sickie at work where 
You've got the Friday, you want the Friday off to go away for the long weekend, and so you ring up and say, Oh, sorry, boss, I'm feeling under the weather. Or to even top it off, just the best one is, Hey, I've got, I think I've got COVID. And so you get a day off. So you're pulling a sickie, it's stealing, it's using someone else's Netflix account in a, from another home. It could be, you know, it's the, the one of taxes, you know, claiming things that you haven't really spent. It can actually be damaging someone else's property and not telling them. You know, you're at the Woolies car park at, at a Westfield in Parramatta and like, it's like, eh, and you just go crack and you bang the door and it scratches it and you just walk away without telling them. See, it's, it's, that's stealing. But even more than that, we can actually steal from God. We can actually rob God of his glory, his praise, his, his worth. We can rob God of his time, his talent. Oh, sorry, we can rob God of time. We can rob God of our talent and invest in the lesser things. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, it's going to come up on the screen. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. See, maybe a subtle way today that we rob God is we come along here and we don't value anything and so we don't give anything. So, now, I'm not going to talk about you know, whether it's 10% or whether it's not because we're in the new covenant, but, but we can actually rob God through not giving generously. See, what is stealing? Well, stealing, it's, it's the unjust gain at the expense of another. It's the unjust gain at the expense of another. But it's actually telling us something even more deeper. Are you starting to feel that the clinch here? Are you starting to feel like, oh, I thought I came along to hear talk about other people stealing? See, we take all the measures in this world to lock our cars. You know, how many of you turn up here today and have locked your car in the car park? How many of you checked that your house was double locked? How many of you turned your cameras on? How many of you last night at 10 30 p.m. So you said to your husband or to your wife, dear, can you go and just check that the front door of the house is locked? We take measures all the time to protect our things. Because really, today whilst we sit in here, all the thieves are out there. While we're here, we've got to lock our homes up because the thieves are all out there ready to grab all our stuff. But I think deep down we all are starting to understand that the thieves are out there. But I don't know whether you started to realise that, that there's also the thieves sitting in here. See, what does stealing tell us about us? It tells us that stealing is inwardly seeking satisfaction. It's actually a heart concern. See, it's inwardly seeking satisfaction. See, deep down there is a sense we want to be satisfied See, we steal to give comfort, to give security, which is to steal to find and gain satisfaction. See, we steal so that we don't have to worry about tomorrow. If we just have a little bit more in our nest egg, we'd be right. If I just have a bit more from my tax return, it will just make me a bit more secure this year. See, stealing is gaining something for nothing. And I think it's deeply embedded in us. In a way, I think we're born thieves. Have you watched kids lately? Have you watched toddlers? Have you watched three-year-olds? Have you watched five-year-olds? Have you watched seven-year-olds? You know, even last night in our household, just before bed, an argument broke out because someone took something of one of the others. You, have you ever watched toddlers or kids? You know, you've got the four-year-olds and you know, your Uncle Bill and she's your niece and you're there watching her at a birthday party 
She's the one who steals openly, right? Not a worry in the world that anyone will see her take that and put it in a pocket or to take that toy off another kid and go, that's mine. No shame, no worries, and just does it. But then you're an uncle to another nephew, little Jimmy. Now, out in public at these parties, Jimmy looks perfect. But see, what Jimmy does is he sneakily takes things, right? He makes sure he looks around, there's no adults looking, and he just puts it in his pocket. He goes into, co he goes into this mode of, I'm going to make sure no one can see that I'm a thief. And so he gets home, and you get home, and, and you've got to do the washing, and you think, what's this doing in his pocket? See, some of us steal blatantly with not worrying the world, and others can just do it secretively. Because I think, in a way, they were just there's this nature in us that wants things for nothing. Like Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. They're in God's creation. They're, they're there in God's presence. And God says, be creative. Fulfill, fill the earth. Subdue it in a beautiful way that you're creative and, and create culture and make this world beautiful. Use what I've given you. And God says to Adam and Eve, he says, don't take from that tree. See, Adam and Eve are thieves. And we've been thieves ever since. Because there's this inward bent of selfishness and discontent and dissatisfaction that makes us think, if I just have that, my life will be better. Now, we can tell people to stop stealing. We can say, don't steal. We can teach our kids not to do it. As adults, we're very careful not to do it. But in a reality, we can just say, don't do it. But it's really just a Band-Aid fix to a deeper problem. We can look good, but it's, it's actually an inward heart problem. See, why do we steal by cheating on our tax return? Why? We might say, I just don't do it. But actually, why do we do it? It's because our hearts find security in wealth. And so to pay more on tax means that that security, it's actually taken away from us. See, there's so many ways in which we, we steal that just sort of it provides this sense of satisfaction. See, we can steal through unpaid debts. We steal through going, I've got an electricity bill or I've got a bill here and it says pay up at the end of the month. But we know that if I let it go three months, it's then they'll just start getting on my shoulder. And after four, then they'll start chasing me. And so we push that bill out for four months so that instead of paying that $1,000 electricity bill, we can spend the $1,000 on ourselves so that we're a bit more content and happy in this moment. So we can steal through unpaid debts. We can steal time. We can steal time from people. You know, you're at work. You start at 8 a.m. You knock off at 5 and. Your lunch break goes 10 minutes longer every day and you knock off half an hour early. The boss doesn't seem to worry. They look upon you and think, oh, yeah, he's and you know you're doing a great job and, and you're of value, but we can steal time. We can steal time. We, we steal time when we consider that it will be fine for me to turn up 20 minutes late for this important meeting. I've got so much at home that I want to do and I, I, it's about me in this moment. They will surely wait for me. It's okay. I've got things to do. While a meeting room is filled with people thinking, a room filled with 20 people thinking, 
are we not valuable to you? See, stealing is a value thing. It's concerned with the inward of what we value. But not only can you steal time, you can actually steal reputation. See, the reason we can steal people's reputation is to actually puff up our own egos. Our, and, and, and we puff that up so that we find satisfaction in diminishing the value of another. See, we can destroy someone else's reputation to cover up our own failings and our own flaws. Thus giving us a sense of security, control and happiness. See, stealing, we can steal reputation through gossip. See, that's what gossip does, isn't it? Gossip, if we just do it loud enough so other people hear at church or we, we get talking to someone else about someone else, we, we start to gossip in a way, what do we do that? So that they look worse and we look better. And so we steal their reputation. Now, William Shakespeare, so helpful on this. Who would have thought? If you don't know who William Shakespeare is, you better go home and Google it. Actually, I've never read any William Shakespeare bar this, probably, or Macbeth at school. And he said this, he said, who steals my purse steals trash. So he's saying, like, if you steal my wallet, yeah, okay, it's money, but you're stealing trash. But William Shakespeare said, but he that filches, which is steals from me, any good name makes me poor indeed. See, William Shakespeare got it, didn't he? You can do more harm to someone by stealing their reputation. And therefore, gossip, slander is actually breaking the Eighth Commandment. And we're going to see next week it's actually breaking the Ninth as well. See, in the moments of defamation, we've valued ourselves more highly than we should have. But not only can we steal reputation, but see, at the heart of it, you realise we can steal value as well? See, if, if stealing is the unjust gain at the expense of another, it means that we can steal value. I'm going to dig into that for a moment. See, it's valuable to them, their time, their effort, their money, but when we steal, we're stealing value. How can we steal value, maybe? You're the person that always asks for a discount. You know, the tradie comes over and gives you a quote. They're an electrician. And it's a $2,000 quote. And you know that it's value, like it's actually value for money. It's a decent quote. But you and your nature always goes, I've got to weasel them down. And so you say, hey, mate, can I get a better deal for that? And, and, and the reason we, we want to do that is because I think deep down we're like, I've worked really hard for my bank account. I've worked really hard to establish us as a family. I've worked really hard and I value that, but I value that more than the time and the effort they've put in on a reasonable deal. Because see, there can be times where we still value by constantly going, I want something cheaper. So you can get a quote from a builder or a plumber, and it's a reasonable quote, but you know that they're struggling. You know that they're having trouble paying their bills. 
and you know that they really, really need this business, and so you go, I can get a good deal here. I'm going to talk them down $500. See, you can actually take advantage of other people. We, we talked about stealing with my boys a while ago in the kitchen table. You know, what does stealing look like now? Our three boys were great answers, right? You can steal a car, you can steal clothes, you can steal money. We had this whole discussion about that. But it actually devolved in this comment about we can actually take advantage of people by stealing. Now, our family, they like, they like collecting football cards. They like collecting Pokemon cards. And they like trading them, right? You trade these cards. But we had this discussion about this going, well, you realise you can actually take advantage of someone at school. So you can go to school and there's someone in the playground who's got footy cards or they've got Pokemon cards. And they've got a card worth $100 and they think it's worth a dollar. And so you know that, and so you take advantage of going, hey, how about I give you three of these $5 cards for that one card? See, stealing, it's, it's self-seeking. It's inward. It's concerned with oneself, with security and satisfaction. It's inwardly seeking my satisfaction, my contentment. So what does stealing tell us about us? That we inwardly seek satisfaction. Now, that's a problem. If our happiness and our satisfaction is tied up with us being inwardly satisfied by things coming to us, then we will always need to undervalue everyone else and what they bring and what they have. It's a problem. I was reading an article this week about lottery in, in, in the States. And I'm not going to talk about lottery today, but in the sense of the studies showed that the research in Florida, they did studies into lottery winners. And they did some studies into those who had won $50,000 to $100,000 and the impact that it would have on their life. Now, why do people do lottery? They go, well, I pay a few dollars hoping to get like $100,000. So then if I get that, I will be happy. They found that those who won fifty dollars to $100,000, just, it just pushed it forward. So they may have been going to go broke or bankruptcy, they won the 50 to 100 and it didn't solve their problems. It just kicked the can down the road for bankruptcy, not to happen in three months, but to happen in two years. Isn't that interesting? It also found in the findings that, you know, you might have won a million dollars. You might have won 10 million. Now, someone who may have had a million in their bank and won, won, win a million, now it doesn't really change their life. It doesn't affect their mental health. But see, we think if we won 10 million, it would make me happy and satisfied and better for my health. But the statistics found that rather than their mental health getting better, those who won huge, their mental health declined. It majorly declined. For winners, there's a level of stress, guilt, confusion, isolation and anxiety. <clears throat> so much that researchers conclude this term, sudden wealth syndrome. It's, it's, it's not the answer. So what does this do not steal reveal about God? Well, it actually reveals to us that God is outward in nature. It's God is outward. See, stealing is about relationships. See, commandment number one to four is about the vertical with us and God. But number five to ten, it's all about us and each other. It's relationships. See, it sounds negative. Do not steal. But I think it's actually a very positive thing because what God is telling us is he's revealing to us that there is private and public property that has value to the things that you have. 
It's not just for someone to come along and take it from you. See, these Israelites, they're about to enter the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it's not going to be best for their relationships with one another if they look over their fence and they see their neighbor with 10 cattle and they've got five and they go, if I just go over there and pull four and have it for myself, my life will be better. No, God's actually revealing to us something intrinsic to how we relate to one another. But at the same time, he's actually revealing himself to us. That God is a God who is generous, a God who is outward in nature. See, God gives us things. All things come from God. But what we also see is that God is a God who is always giving of himself to the other. See, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are in perfect harmony in relationship with each other. They always are acting outwardly for the sake of the other. See, it's revealing to us that God is a God who is outward in nature, whereas we are inward. See, do not steal reveals that we have stolen from this outward God. See, as you heard this commandment read, you shall not, com you shall not steal, we've already broken it. One of the ways we have really broken it is that we have stolen from God himself. We have stolen his rightful place in our lives and we've put it on us. And yet God in his great mercy, God in his great love, he gave up his own son, Jesus. Jesus who was rejected, Jesus who was despised, who from his very own people, from the Jews, from the religious leaders, from the governors of the day, Jesus was defamed and they were set on bringing Jesus down. The one Jesus who gave so much, who gave sight to the blind, who gave hearing to the deaf, who raised the dead from the grave. Jesus who could feed 5,000 men plus women and children with just five loaves and two fish. Jesus who gave so much, they wanted to bring down. And Jesus who would rather, Jesus who rather than keep what was truly his gave his all so that thieves like you and me could be saved. Washed clean, forgiven, welcome back, no debt to be paid. What good news that is. See, did you notice in those readings that you had to pay the debt back? It's not that God can just overlook our sin and our theft and say, I forgive you and, and, and remove it. No, no, it has, that debt has to be paid for and Christ paid for it at the cross. And because of Jesus, there is now hope. And we go from being people who are inward focused to being people who have become more outward focused. Hearts that overflow with great generosity. And so what is the promise here? What does it point to? Well, we see that, that stealing is the unjust gain at the expense of others. We've seen of the inward seeking satisfaction, but we've also seen that God is outward. And therefore, because of Jesus and the cross and our new lives that are being transformed, we are now generous givers. See, this commandment points to us to be generous. We now become gripped by the generosity of God that by his gospel, by the spirit at work in our lives, we want to be generous no longer self-seekers but givers we are now good stewards of what we've been given we now want to work 
for others rather than ourselves. See, the gospel of Jesus, it changes us, it renews us. See, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, did you see a life transformed? In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. See, when we steal, we haven't worked for it. But work. Do something useful with your own hands. Why? So that you may have something to share with those in need. There's a sense of now, don't steal no longer, but work for the good and the generosity towards others. See, we've had changed hearts to be generous givers. God's at work in us, transforming us from being inward thinking to being outward thinking, to be generous givers. There was a man called Zacchaeus, this little short bloke. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. That means he was wealthy and rich and very well hated. So he would collect tax on behalf of the Romans. And, and, and so if he was meant to take five denarii off you, he would take five plus another five. Five for the Romans and five for himself. See, he was gaining at others' expense. It was unjust gain at the expense of others. But one day, Jesus comes along. One day, Jesus walks into his life. One day, he encounters Jesus and his life is transformed. That he says, I'll give away half of my possessions and I'll pay back four times to those I have stolen. A man whose life was gripped by the generosity of God that he changed. See, we live in a world that says, hashtag blessed life. So the idea of a hashtag blessed life is, is you get what you want, that you've been satisfied by your holy, that you've been satisfied by your trip, that you've been satisfied by this. But actually the blessed life according to Jesus is the blessed life is the one who gives. It's more blessed to give than to receive, says Jesus. See, we've been turned to become generous givers. And therefore, now, instead of seeing your car as an identity in which you find purpose and meaning, now you use your car to serve others and help other people. As you once saw your investment property on the coast somewhere, whereas you saw it one day as a thing for equity, for security, and for retirement, you now see it as a way in which you can bless missionaries and people in ministry or those who can't afford a holiday. You now find great joy in walking back into Bunnings because you've realized that they've only charged you for five bags of concrete when you actually were purchasing 25 and you just walk straight back in and go, you've undercharged me, I want to pay for the rest. It's giving up a weekend once a month. Maybe you go away every month as a way, and maybe you go, you know what, I want to give that up and do four instead of six. Or four instead of 12. And I want to come and I just want to serve and give to other people at church. And so you start to find your security and your satisfaction in God more and more. And therefore, in your business, you're prepared to just cut a bit of productivity. Just so you can love people and value them more. Or you're a boss and you'll just pay above the award and on time because you have great joy in valuing your employees and what they bring to your business. See, stealing is the unjust gain at the expense of another. Stealing is, the, is inwardly seeking satisfaction. Stealing reveals that God is outward in nature. But it also points us to be generous givers. See, 
Willis Newton was right about one thing. It's just one thief a stealing from another thief. See, I wonder, do you feel that weight? And as Jesus was being crucified, as he's being crucified, Jesus was between two men. Two men who were thieves, robbers, guilty with a debt to pay. And one thief looks over to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into my, when you come into your kingdom. Remember me, says that thief. And what does Jesus say? He says with arms wide open, he welcomes with arms wide open that have been nailed to a cross. He says to that thief, he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. See, Jesus has his arms open, nailed, and that through his life, death, and resurrection, thieves like you and me can find life. Let's pray. Almighty God, reveal, Almighty God renew in us a zeal to value the life of others, to have a zeal for the value of marriage, but also to understand the value of possessions and what other people have. Lord, may we value that. Lord, may we not seek unjust gain at the expense of others, but Father, transform our hearts to be overflowing with generosity filled with great love in response to what you have done. So, Father, renew a zeal in our hearts, our soul, and our mind, and to love others as ourselves. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.